0: Ladies and gentlemen, WrestleMania 36 is in the books. It is official. Both nights have concluded. We have some new champions in the WWE. Some great stories were told, some good moments, some bad moments, and some in between. So let's get it started right here on the Pro Wrestling Ultra Podcast. Welcome to the Pro Wrestling Ultra Podcast. Hey, yeah with host Eric Fulmer. The latest news, recaps and insight from inside the ring, WWE, NXT, NXT, AEW, and NWA. This is the Pro Wrestling Ultra Podcast with your host, Eric Fulmer. All right, everybody, thank you for joining in another episode of the Pro Wrestling Ultra Podcast, Episode 3. Ladies and gentlemen, WrestleMania 36 is done. It is over. It's in the books. And what a weekend it really was. We're going to get right into it. We're not going to waste time. Uh, This whole episode is just going to be about WrestleMania 36, what happened both Saturday night and tonight. WrestleMania has just concluded about, uh, about 30 minutes ago. And we're just going to start off with Saturday night. And before I kind of get into the matches, I got to say, you know, I kind of joked about the WWE constantly telling us, hey, this WrestleMania, it's 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 too big for one night. You know, it's so big. It has to be on two nights. And it's like, okay, we get it. You know, yeah, you've had 35 WrestleManias before this one. But all of a sudden now this is the first one that's too big for one night. But after thinking about it, you know, I, I think they were kind of right. Um, you know, it, it was good to, to kind of watch what happened last night on Saturday and, and be able to digest that overnight and throughout today. Before we tuned in to see the second half of WrestleMania and I really kind of hope that they they actually do this going forward and they make WrestleMania a a whole weekend thing, you know, maybe they can do the Hall of Fame ceremony on, on Friday night and then do WrestleMania on Saturday and Sunday. Because when you when you look at the matches like the Boneyard match between The Undertaker and AJ Styles, it was nice to be able to, to have that long of a separation between that and what we saw in the Firefly Funhouse match. Now, imagine if you had been watching this for five or six hours and those two matches were close together on the card. You would have probably been so burnt out by that point that... You, you wouldn't have been able to embrace both of them on their own and, and kind of give them the appreciation that that they deserve to have. So without further ado, let's get into it. Saturday night, we kicked off with the, uh, the women's tag team title match, and Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross, right off the bat, we have new women's tag team champions. They defeat Asuka and Kairi Sane, the Kabuki Warriors, and you know, This match started off a little slow to my liking, but once it kicked into gear, it became a really good match from four great competitors, and I I have to say that over the last, say, month or two, Nikki Cross has really grown on me as a performer. You know, I I see really big things in her future, and, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if she was the SmackDown Women's Champion before next WrestleMania and, you know, I, I predict that this is going to be the, the jumping off point to what's going to be Alexa Bliss's eventual heel turn. Um, as I predicted going into this, I, I thought the smart move was to put the belts on Nikki and Alexa because this way down the line, this gives Alexa a reason to turn on Nikki because one of two things is going to happen. Either Nikki's going to lose the titles for them and that's going to upset uh, Alexa or, Nikki's going to constantly be saving the titles for the team, and Alexa's going to get jealous. So, either way, I kind of see one of those two scenarios happening down the road, and Alexa's eventually going to turn on Nikki. Because you've you started to see more of Nikki's personality over the last few weeks, which has been a great thing, and I think there's just there's more to come from from this young lady, and I really think Nikki Cross has a bright future ahead of her. And like I said, I would not be surprised if by this time next year she has held the SmackDown Women's Title at least one time. So going by our predictions, I started off one and zero right off the bat. Now the second match was Elias and King Corbin. Now, you know, I just couldn't get into this match at all. They rushed the build up. We didn't have time to care about either one of these guys in this program. And it wasn't long ago that Elias was coming out and insulting the fans, so it didn't make much sense that now all of a sudden we're we're supposed to 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 be behind him and support him. You know, one one good thing that that I've always felt as a philosophy when it comes to the wrestling business is that if you're if you're a heel and you're going to turn babyface and 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 as a booker you want the people to get behind your new babyface, he's got to do something that has changed His behavior and his personality from what it has been as a heel. And in this instance, Elias hasn't done any of that other than he's just not insulting the fans, but he's still the same guy. So there's really not much there that has shown a whole lot of babyface qualities other than him just going against King Corbin, who in my book is just the bigger heel. And Corbin loses so much that it's hard to take him seriously as a competitor. So Elias does get the win. Um, Hopefully this will kind of be the blow off for this thing. So Elias defeats King Corbin. And as far as the predictions go, we're 2-0 right off the bat. So we're off to a good start. But that's where it kind of comes to an end right here because at first I was surprised you had the Raw Women's Championship match between the man Becky Lynch and the Queen of Spades, Shayna Baszler. Now, going into this, coming off the Elimination Chamber, I thought it just made total sense for them to continue uh, Shayna's dominance, have her beat Becky, and take the title off of her. But, you know, when I kind of, when I When I look back on things now as as the match has, has already happened, and um, we', we'll, I'll get into that how it ended here in a second. But I, I should have felt the same way about Shayna as I did about Drew McIntyre. And my feeling was that Drew wasn't ready for the the WWE title yet. He wasn't ready to be the guy to lead the the company and be the face. And I should have felt the same way about Shayna Baszler, and I didn't, you know, and, and that was my mistake. You know, I, I should have I, I should have been more, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, consistent in, in, in how I saw things. But I didn't, and that was my mistake. Um, Becky retains the title, and I think absolutely that was the right move. Looking back in hindsight, um, you know, I was surprised at the result of the match, uh, the start was really good. I mean, I loved how when the bell rang, they just came out and started throwing hands. I mean, that's what you wanted to see in this kind of match. You don't want to see them lock up and grab a headlock and, and do a hip toss and all kinds of stuff. There's enough bad blood here to where that bell rings, you just come out swinging. You start throwing those hands, and that's exactly what they did. And I think that um, whoever the agent was on that match, that, w- that was the right call. Um, you know, Shayna quickly looking to end it. Um with her finish, the cure for a clutch, I, I thought it was a smart move. I mean, she's a cage fighter. That's what cage fighters do. You know, when the referee says, hey, it's time to start fighting, you don't go out there and try to drag on a, a 10-minute match or a 10-minute fight. You go out there and you try to knock your opponent out or you make them tap out as quickly as possible, and that's what Shayna was trying to do here. So I really kind of like the psychology of the match. I like where, um, where they were going with it. And the ending of the match, it just reminded me of the Bret Hart-Steve Austin match from Survivor Series 96. Uh, Shayna locks in Akira for a clutch, and Becky just uses her momentum to roll back and get the pin, which at first I was thinking, okay, that's pretty anticlimactic of an ending. It just kind of comes out of nowhere. But when you think about a match involving a fighter like Shayna, I mean, think of the, think of, Think of like a UFC fight. When a UFC fight ends, you never see it coming. It just happens out of nowhere. So and in professional wrestling and, and WWE, you you tend to build towards that finish. So the fans kind of see it coming. Like you could feel that build up. So the fact that they just kind of went right into the finish and it was a quick roll up like that. I liked it looking back on it. Um now, I don't agree with some of the fans who say that Becky shouldn't have lost her title in front of no audience, but I do feel this was the right call to make now. I feel like Shayna can come back even hungrier with more vengeance with more fury, and just say, "Hey, that was a fluke. you didn't beat me, I had you, and I want you in the ring again so now it sets up for a future match. You can look at money in the bank or you can look you know past that at some point but I thought it was a a, a pretty well-put-together match. So, But having said that, I did predict that Shayna was going to win the title going in, so that's a loss on my part. As far as the predictions go, 2-1 and one at this point. Now, moving on, we've got the Intercontinental title match, Daniel Bryan going against champion Sami Zayn. And this one kind of went the way I thought it did, or thought it would. Um... Sammy had help from Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura. And, but you know what? I, I like the way when the match started, uh, Sammy was playing this cat and mouse game with, with Daniel. And I thought that was a really nice touch. It was really old school. And the fact that it reminded me of what, like when the heel would get in trouble earlier and they take a powder, you know, you get in trouble, you roll out of the ring. And Sammy was doing that from the start, trying to get in Daniel's head. And I thought it was a nice touch. You know, it was what you would expect from, you know, that type of chicken shit heel that Sammy has become. Now, the ending of the match was pretty anticlimactic, but overall, I mean, it was a pretty decent match. Um, I, I saw a lot of people online saying that it was a great match. I don't think it was a great match. I thought it was a good match. Um, it, it's going to be one of those ones where it. I just find it forgettable. Um it is what it is. It was a decent match between two great workers. I think if this had been in the in the stadium in Tampa with 70,000 plus people, they would have probably had a better performance, but all in all I think it was a pretty decent match. Now that that takes us to 3 and 1 in our predictions. Following that, you had and and this was kind of weird. This was this was a three-way ladder match singles ladder match for the SmackDown tag team titles. The reason being because the Miz wasn't there when they did the WrestleMania tapings. So they just kind of had to improvise on the spot. Now this one I had omitted from my predictions uh, just because the prediction I made was based on what they were announcing was a different match at the time. So, after I'd already published that on my on the website, ProWrestlingUltra.com, um, I just kind of removed this one from my predictions. But John Morrison did retain the SmackDown tag team titles over Kofi Kingston and Jimmy Uso. And it's, it's exactly what you, you would expect it to be. It was a spot fest. I mean, all three men got in some good high spots in the match. And Morrison retained when he was on the ladder on one side and Uso and Kingston were on the ladder on the other side and they both grabbed the 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 gold ring or whatever you want to call it that holds the belts up for a ladder match. Kingston and Uso both had their hands on that. They fought off Morrison off the ladder. He falls back onto another ladder, but when he does, he has both hands on a str- on each one of the tag titles and he takes the belts down with him and that ends the match and it leaves Uso and Kingston up on the ladders basically going, what the hell? Look what you did. No, look what you did. No, you know, so it's kind of, it, it was what it was. It was a decent match. I enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, John Morrison and the Miz are still your SmackDown tag team champions. Not really sure where they go from here though. I'm guessing they will probably see some three-way tag matches coming up. Um, considering the fact that Kingston and Uso can both kind of lay claim to to having the titles basically ripped out of their hands, literally. So uh, still at 3-1 on the predictions. Like I said, I, I omitted that one uh, as the match happened. So now we're looking at Kevin Owens versus Seth Rollins. And this one, you know, I, I think because I made such a bold prediction going into this, that anything that wasn't what I predicted, I probably wasn't going to like. And that's not on Owens and Rollins. That's totally 100% on me. I get it, and I accept that. But I, w- I was expecting Samoa Joe to come back uh, to make a return and to turn heel on Owens and join Seth Rollins because it would make sense with the AOP being out and Murphy being hurt. Rollins is going to need somebody... In an enforcer role in his corner, and now he doesn't have that. I also felt like if they were going to put the WWE title on Drew McIntyre, it would make a lot of sense for Rollins to win here so that he could go on and be the next competition for Drew and the title. That didn't happen here. Kevin Owens defeated Seth Rollins after probably the biggest spot of the night. Owens jumped off the WrestleMania sign and... Dropped an elbow on Rollins through the announce table. It was a hell of a spot. It looked good, um, but like I said, it it it, uh, it didn't go the way I, I predicted it would. Uh, they told a good story, but I'm just not sure where they go from here. I mean, Owens wins. This is basically the blowoff. So, what do you do and where do you go from here? So now we're we're looking at the predictions are three and two. So. Not great. I mean, you know, I, I kind of went out on a limb on, on some of these picks. And so three and two is respectable, but not great. Now, they they made the right decision by making the basically the semi main event be the Universal Championship match. Goldberg defending against Braun Strowman, who was a last minute replacement for Roman Reigns. Braun Strowman in about Eh, Less than five minutes beats Goldberg to win the the universal title. And I have to say, this is probably going to be one of the least remembered universal title wins in probably WWE history. It was short and sweet. Goldberg hit multiple spears on Strowman. Couldn't pin him. Strowman hits multiple power slams on Goldberg. Finally gets the one, two, three. Short, sweet, and out, done. Braun Strowman, your new WWE Universal Champion. Now that brings us to the main event. Oh, by the way, um, I did predict Braun Strowman, so that brings us to four and two going into the main event. This is the Pro Wrestling Ultra Podcast. Now we're looking at the main event and what a match i mean this wasn't even really a match it was just a fight but this was probably one of the best things i've ever seen from the wwe the boneyard match between the undertaker and aj styles and just what a, what a match. I mean, that's really all there is to it. Uh, you know, the cinematic feel of this, it, it made it one of the most epic matches in WrestleMania history. And I have, I'm not shy at all about saying that. I really believe this is going to go down as one of the all-time greatest matches in the history of WrestleMania. Both men worked their asses off, and they told an unbelievable story, which is what I want in a match or a fight or anything else I want the story and the ability to edit and produce this match it made all the difference you know the Undertaker he he hasn't looked his best over the last year or so when it came to his matches and and doing this this way it allowed them to hide the negatives and accentuate the positives and the Undertaker you know he didn't have to worry about taking or selling wrestling moves I mean this was a fight from start to finish all Taker had to do was tell the story, which he is one of the best ever in the history of the business. And I have to say, there wasn't a dull moment in this at all, you know, from from Gallows and Anderson showing up to unleash the the creatures of the night, you know, circling around the Undertaker and, and, and Taker basically looking at him and saying, okay, hey, let's do this. We're, it, this is what's got to happen. Let's do it. From that to, you know, Taker and Styles fighting on the roof, you know, the, the the bump that AJ took off the roof, you know, everything was just produced perfectly. But of course, the best part of the of this whole thing for me was when AJ knocked Undertaker into the grave, he gets up on the tractor, he's about to put all the dirt on him, and then all of a sudden from behind in the light, you just see the Undertaker rise above aj from behind and it was like holy crap what a moment like that was something like out of a great horror movie you know like just when you think the boogeyman has been knocked down and out and here he pops up and and all this stuff and then they go at it and then the story they told when when aj's begging off at the end you know god please don't bury me please don't bury me you know i'm sorry i'm sorry and and undertaker's like oh you're sorry what 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 are you sorry about You know, what are you you sorry about? And AJ's just begging off, you know, please don't bury me. Please don't. And and Undertaker goes, man, you know, I'm not going to bury you, man. You you know, you fought your ass off. You know, nobody's brought it to me like this. You know, man, I'm not going to bury you. Come on, man. You fought your ass off. You should be proud of yourself for this, you know. And then he turns and kicks him right into the grave, gets up on the tractor, dumps the dirt on him, and the you see AJ's hand with the glove you know sticking out of the dirt reaching for the air and then the undertaker gets on his harley and and drives off into the night as the show ends i mean my god what a production and i really hope that the wwe does more matches and segments and things like that like this more often going forward now, I'm sure it probably cost a lot to produce this, which, because, by the way, this thing wasn't in any kind of a graveyard. This, this looked like it was on, you know, the property from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something, and it just happened to have a grave dug. And, you know, another, another little, um, you know, nuance. I guess that that they did was after Undertaker buried AJ, he gets off the tractor and he walks by the tombstone and he pulls the cover off and it shows that it said AJ Styles on the tombstone the whole time. So I mean, from beginning to end, from AJ coming in in the hearse, popping out of the casket when when we thought it was the Undertaker, you know, the Undertaker coming in on the Harley with the American badass look, and I mean, it was just it was it was one of the all-time great stories that anybody has ever told in a wrestling match. I mean, I'm an old-school guy. I'm a purist. I love a great story. I don't like spot fests. I don't like people flipping and flopping and flying around the ring. I like stories. Tell me a good story, and you'll draw me in, okay? I've been around the wrestling business since 1987, but I will still buy into a great story. Sean and Taker at WrestleMania 25 was a great story. Cody Rhodes and Dustin at the AEW pay-per-view was a great story. Undertaker AJ Styles of WrestleMania 36 was a damn good story. I love it. It was a great way to end the show. I'm glad they ended Saturday night with that. And that's why I said we needed the rest of Saturday night and all day Sunday to digest that match. We needed that time. We needed the time to be able to let that soak in Appreciate what we just saw, and then we can go into night two so that we can enjoy and appreciate the matches that would happen tonight on WrestleMania. So, at the end of the first night, the predictions we ended up five and two. Not bad. I like it. Give me just a second. Go take a little swig of water here. So, five and two going into Sunday. And I wasn't sure about Sunday. There were some matches I was looking forward to. But I I wasn't really sure about the overall, um, how I was going to feel about it. But I have to say, I I actually like night two more than I like night one. I thought there were some great performances there. And overall, I mean, I thought it was a great way to end the WrestleMania weekend. So... Getting into it, the pre-show match, you had Liv Morgan beating Natalia, and this was a pretty slow match. I'm not sure if fans being there would have helped any. Um, I love both of these women. I, I have a huge amount of respect for Natalia. I think she is one of the most underrated women in probably wrestling history, because I think when they want a good match out of anybody, they call Natalia, and she always delivers. She is like the modern day excellence of execution. She really is. And huge respect for, for Natty. I love Liv Morgan. You know, I, I think there, she needs, she's missing something and I can't put my finger on it. Um, I, I almost think she might be better served going to NXT to get more work in the ring than what she's been getting on the main roster. And, and that's not a slight on Liv at all. Like, I love Liv Morgan. Believe me, I love me some Liv Morgan. But I just think there's something missing there. You know, I don't think her character is connecting with the audience. I don't think she's where she needs to be in the ring. So I think she just needs some more time. Send her down to NXT. Let her get more seasoning, more experience. Let her Let her grasp her own character. Because I feel like... Liv might be struggling with that a little bit. And I might be wrong. But remember back to when we saw those vignettes of her before she, she made her return and how she was changing everything and there was going to be a new Liv and she was going to finally be herself. And now when you see her, she doesn't look like she's being herself. That's the thing. it, it She still seems like she's pretending to be something. And I think she needs to go back to NXT and and either develop this character and really wrap her arms around it or come up with something different that she can really sink her teeth in and show her talent and her ability while getting more in-ring time. And then I think you bring her back to the main roster, and she's going to be a big player. She's got a great future ahead of her. You know, She's gorgeous. She has a great look, great personality, and I think she just needs – more seasoning in the ring, and a little bit better handle on whatever character that she's uh, presenting. Um, but yeah, all in all, I think this was it was a slow match. I, I think Natty really tried. Um, she got a decent match out of Liv, but you know, I, I think I think Live got a little exposed here. But she does pick up the win over Natty on the pre-show. Now, going into the main card. The, it starts off with the NXT Women's Championship, Rhea Ripley defending against Charlotte Flair. And this was a great match to kick off WrestleMania. I mean, both women gave it everything they had. They put on an amazing performance. And Charlotte has that Roman Reigns online reaction. and I think it's because she's been so successful that fans tend to kind of turn on that, and they're just kind of tired of seeing Charlotte with the title of whether it's SmackDown Raw or NXT now. But I think think this was the right move, as unpopular as that's going to be. I think this was the right move because I think... Rhea Ripley became a star tonight. Rhea Ripley had her WrestleMania moment in defeat. And I actually think she comes out of this looking better than if she had won the match. Because now they can call her up to the main roster and she's just shown that she can hang with the very best. Because make no no mistake about it, Becky Lynch is great, Bayley, Sasha, all these women are great. Charlotte Flair right now is the best overall performer that they have in the ring. And by Rhea showing that she can hang and go toe-to-toe with Charlotte, you can move her up to the main roster and put her against anybody. You could move her to, the, to SmackDown and put her against Bailey on the spot. You can move her to Raw and put her against Becky Lynch on the spot and know that Rhea is going to be able to hold her own with either one of those women. So, I think this was the right move if if they bring Rhea up to the main roster. If they just have her toil away in NXT for another four to six months, then this didn't make any sense. Now, on the flip side of that, if they bring Rhea up, Charlotte stays in NXT as the women's champion... As great as Charlotte Flair is, imagine how much of a boost it's going to be for whoever knocks her off and takes that NXT women's title. They're going to be an instant star because they've just beaten the best in the business. And I think that's going to probably be Bianca Belair, and I think it should be Bianca. Imagine the, the, the great matches that Bianca and Charlotte are going to have in the future. And if Char- it gets to the point where Charlotte does the favors for Bianca and, and basically passes that torch to her, Bianca's going to be an even bigger star than she already is. So to me overall, I see online the fans are hating this, but I think they're looking at it all wrong. I think this was great for Charlotte. This was great for NXT. This was great for Rhea Ripley. And it was. I think it's ultimately going to be great for the fans. However... I did predict that Rhea Ripley was going to retain the title. So I start off 0-1. Not how I want to start my night off. In match number two, you had Alistair Black going against the almighty Bobby Lashley. Now, this wasn't a bad match considering there was just no build up for this. You know, with with Bobby Lashley being in quarantine the last couple of weeks, um, you know, the like I said in my predictions, they're just neither guy could could was able to basically carry this program while Bobby was in quarantine because Alistair Black's not a talker. So Lashley had everything well in hand, and for some reason Lana gets up on the apron and she directs him to hit Alistair Black with a spear, which made no sense because Bobby Lashley just drops him on the mat. Like, okay, if you're going to hit him with a power slam or some kind of other slam, why not do that and then spear him? So that really made no sense. So Bobby just kind of sets him down on the mat, goes to the corner, rushes into spear him. Alistair hits him with Black Mass, gets the pin one, two, three. Alistair Black defeated Bobby Lashley. And I'm starting my night off 0-2. So it's not looking good for me so far after I came out and, and said earlier, like, Hey, check out how great I did last night. I went five and two in my predictions, you know, you want to bet with us and, and all this stuff. And then I, I come out and go, Oh, and two, you know, I, I, I look like a schmuck right off the bat, you know? So match three, you had Otis against Dolph Ziggler. Dolph had Sonia Deville in his corner and it, it Based on what happened the night before WrestleMania on Friday Night SmackDown, they—I I guess this was really the only way you could you could go with this. Mandy Rose comes out, she decks Sonya Deville when the referee's distracted. She sneaks in, hits Dolph with the low blow. Otis hits the what do you what do they call it the caterpillar or whatever and. He pins Dolph 1, 2, 3, and Otis gets the girl, and the internet explodes. So it is it is what it is. I mean, it was a it was a fun match. I mean, it was decent from, from both guys, and it told the story. It gave us the blow-off we needed, and everybody online apparently wanted. So Otis gets the win over Dolph Ziggler, and he also gets the girl, and we are finally in the win column tonight on our predictions at one and two. Next, you have the last man standing match, Edge and Randy Orton. And I have to say, this was a good match, but it wasn't as great as I thought it could have been. I was really expecting with Edge and Orton going in that they were going to tell us one hell of a story. Especially with everything being pre-taped and post-produced, I thought they really had the opportunity to pull us in emotionally and, and like I said, tell us that great story. And I just feel like this fell way, way flat. All we really got was, what, 20, 25 minutes of them brawling around the performance center. I mean, it felt like a violent episode of Cribs. You know, that's, that's really all they did. They just went from room to room, beating the hell out of each other. They ended up on top of a semi truck. And that's where it ended. Edge hit a couple of spears. Randy hit an RKO, and Edge finally hit Randy with the concerto on top of the truck, and Randy failed to answer the 10 count. I felt for what they were doing, considering it was just a a room-to-room brawl. It probably should have ended 10 minutes sooner than it did. I think this just kind of – it just felt like it dragged on too long. It was like, okay – If you're not telling us a story, then let's get on with the ass kicking and let's end the match. And it just seemed like they drug it out. They went, they spent way too much time in the gym. And then they go from there to the conference room, to the hallway, to, you know, the warehouse and, and all these, these places around the performance center. And it was just like, okay, my God, like, you're not telling us a story. You're just beating the hell out of each other. Let's wrap this thing up and, and and move on to the next thing. But Edge defeated Randy Orton. Randy failed to answer the 10 count. And I don't know where you go from here. I just don't know. Like, again, this, is, this was a blow-off moment. Edge got the – so from a storyline standpoint, this is what should happen. Edge was going to retire, got goaded back in because Randy attacked him and then attacked his wife, Beth Phoenix, And now Edge has gotten his revenge. So from a storyline standpoint, wouldn't it make sense that Edge comes out tomorrow and says, hey, I'm done, I'm out of here, see you guys later, I'm really retired now. And then what does Randy do? Because he's just come off of this ass-kicking loss, so what do you do with either one of these guys? It would have made more sense for Randy to win because you could have... Had Edge off TV, Randy could have moved on to something else, and you could always come back to this down the road at SummerSlam or Survivor Series or whenever. But Edge defeated Randy Orton in the last man standing match, and that adds another loss to my column for the night. So I'm starting off at 1-3. and Like I'm not really feeling too good about myself and, and my predictions at this point. But thankfully, things turn around. We, we, there there's light at the end of the tunnel here stick with me folks the street prophets defeat austin theory and angel garza to retain the raw tag team titles not much to say about this it was thrown together i actually thought it was a, it was a much better match than i expected it to be to be honest but the real story of this is after the match bianca Belair showing up and attacking zelena vega and i'm wondering could this be a new trio on raw are they, are they calling Bianca up to Raw when maybe she should be staying down in NXT or does she do double duty here or does Zelina go to NXT? I mean, there, there's lots of different possibilities you could have here, but at the end of the day, the Street Profits retain the Raw tag team titles and we're back in the win column, ladies and gentlemen. We're two and three on our predictions. Now, the women's, the, excuse me the smackdown women's championship fatal 5-way elimination match. Woo! That's a mouthful. So, I predicted that Bailey would be the one to eliminate Sasha or to do something that would cause Sasha to be eliminated, and it turned out that I was right on the latter. But not on purpose. So, this was actually a really, really, really great match. I love this match because, again, there was not only was there storytelling, there was multiple layers of storytelling. So, first, everyone ganged up to pin and eliminate Tamina. She was the the biggest one in the fight, so they all jumped on her, pinned her, got her out of the way. So, that told a good story of of how threatening Tamina was and how everybody needed to stick together to get rid of her early. Now, Bailey and Sasha dump Lacey Evans out and they team up to eliminate Naomi next. So Naomi is the second one eliminated. And that's when the story between Bailey and Sasha starts getting told because Bailey accidentally knocks Sasha out of the ring. And that caused Sasha to get back in and confront Bailey basically saying, what the hell, what was that about? I've always had your back and you're going to hit me like that. And of course, Bailey is like, look, it was a mistake. Let's take care of Lacey, and we can we can hash this out later. So at that time, Lacey rushes in to hit Sasha. Bailey pushes Sasha out of the way, ducks the right hand from Lacey, and as Lacey spins around, she nails Sasha with the woman's right, and she gets the pin. But the thing was is that when Bailey ducked the woman's right, she fell down and basically just sat there and watched Lacey pin Sasha. She didn't do anything. She didn't rush over to grab Lacey off of her. She went ahead and let her pin her. So, right there, you're sowing the seeds because you can have Sasha come back and go, "Hey, I saw. I watched the replay. I saw what happened. What the hell was that? You don't help me. I helped you. In fact, I helped you keep your title because when it came down to Bailey and Lacey, who put on an outstanding conclusion to this match. Lacey had the upper hand, Sasha slides back in the ring, hits her with the backstabber, and that allows Bailey to get the pin and keep her title, which Sasha grabbed the belt, went back into the ring, and every, and Bailey was kind of looking at her, kind of a little sketchy. and Sasha basically puts the belt around her waist and raises her hand, and that's the end of it. I thought this was an outstanding match. Normally, I hate. Matches with multiple people in them like this. I don't like three way dances or fatal four ways or fatal five ways or six pack challenges. It's just too many, too many moving parts. And it it becomes a cluster really, really fast. But the storytelling here was just amazing. Like I said, there was just so many layers to it. And having said that, I get why the WWE doesn't really do anything with Tamina as a wrestler. I think in, she's better in these kind of matches or tag matches, singles matches. She gets exposed for, I don't want to say a lack of ability, but that, I mean, there's a better way to say it, I'm sure, but that's kind of what I'm going for. She's not as polished as a lot of these other women are. So here's, here's what I was thinking watching Tamina tonight. Wouldn't it be better to I would put Tamina, if I was booking, I would book Tamina as a badass bodyguard for a chicken shit heel the way China was for Triple H when she first came on the scene. Because I start thinking, I was like, how entertaining would it be to watch Dolph Ziggler or Seth Rollins hiding behind Tamina, running their mouths in the background, and then they step behind Tamina when... The person they're running their mouth to steps up to do something because they know that person's not gonna lay a hand on on a woman. So it's kind of exactly the same thing that Triple H did with China. You know, he would hide behind China, run his mouth in the background, like, yeah, come on, come on, come get me, come get me. Oh wait. I'm gonna I'm gonna have you know, have China step in front of me and I know you're not gonna do anything. So that's how I would book Tamina. You can still you maximize what she's good at. And what she's good at is kicking ass and looking menacing. And that's that's where I would go with her. But all in all, I love this women's match. I, I thought this was a, an amazing fatal five-way, probably the best one I've ever seen. So now we're up to three and three with two matches left. I thought the WWE title match should have been the semi-main event. Because knowing that the Firefly Funhouse match was going to be so well-produced, kind of like the Boneyard match was last night, I thought that should have ended the show. And even after watching it, I still think that should have ended the show. But they put that on next, after the women's match. And, you know, I I, I find it hard finding the words to describe my reaction to this match, except that it was absolutely amazing. And I'm going to kind of break down the story of this, because if you really, if you don't know the histories of Cena and Bray Wyatt, and you weren't fully watching this quote unquote match, because it really wasn't a match, you're, you're going to miss something here. And, and so I'm going to try to break this down. Basically Bray Wyatt made John Cena relive his past. In the WWE, he made him relive his his past triumphs and his past failures. And the reason was, is because if you remember back six years ago at WrestleMania, when John Cena defeated Bray Wyatt, Bray kept trying to get Cena to embrace his dark side and Cena would never do it. And he, and he ended up beating Bray. Bray needed Cena to embrace that dark side. So he kept pushing he kept pushing and kept pushing. He Cena, He had Cena come out in the gear that he wore when, when he first answered Kurt Angle's challenge back in 2002, that open challenge, when he made his debut. And the whole production of this, I'm watching it, and it reminded me of like A Nightmare on Elm Street with Freddy Krueger, you know, where he controls the people in their dreams and that's basically what bray was doing here he was controlling cena and putting him through all these different situations to relive them from cena's debut calling cena hey i'm making you relive your greatest failure this is why you almost got fired isn't it so he's getting into cena's head here and by making him relive that and Cena not embracing his dark side. So he has to switch, and he switches to the Doctor of Thuganomics, which Cena actually embraces that more than his dark side. So having gone through that, for some weird reason, Bray comes out dressed like Eric Bischoff, And Cena comes out almost like Hollywood Hogan with the NWO music. Cena's wearing the NWO shirt and all this stuff. And, I mean, it's just going from one thing to another. So he keeps pushing Cena's buttons. He keeps trying to do whatever it takes to get Cena to embrace that inner dark side. And it finally works he finally gets John Cena to swing that chair at him like he wanted him to six years ago. And at that moment, Cena embraced the dark side. Once that happened, The Fiend was able to show up. And I felt like that was the story Bray was trying to tell. He needed, he needed Cena to embrace that dark side in order for The Fiend to do what he had to do. And it worked. Cena embraces dark side. The Fiend shows up behind him, puts the Mandible Claw on him, and surprisingly, it's Bray Wyatt that shows up and counts the one, two, three. So Bray Wyatt, The Fiend, defeats John Cena in the Firefly Funhouse match. And again, just like the Boneyard match last night, I thought this was just absolutely amazing. I loved it, and... You know, again, it was one of those ones where you just can't take your eyes off of it. You spend most of your time watching it going, what in the hell am I watching? But you can't turn away. Like I said, it was like a great horror movie. It reminded me of Freddy Krueger in A Nightmare on Elm Street. And he's 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 the puppet master. He's controlling the situations and the environment and the actions of the person he's controlling. I, I just... I'm anxious to see what they do from here. Like on Friday night, what does Bray do? Like, you know, what what's his next target? Does, does he move on from John Cena now? Now that he's avenged that wrong, who's next? Is it The Undertaker? Is it Braun Strowman? Who knows? But I'm excited. I, I love this. Like I said, it wasn't really a match. The quote unquote match itself probably lasted a minute once it finally happened at the very end. But just absolutely amazing. Loved it. So that brings us to four and three on the predictions. Well, hey, we're 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 above five hundred now, so we're looking good. And that goes into the main event, which Drew McIntyre got his crowning moment. Drew McIntyre is your new WWE champion, defeated Brock Lesnar, pinned him in the ring, one, two, three. And I just felt like the match was way too short. I mean, it felt like it was a, I mean, it was, what, a eight to ten minute match maybe? And you've got two guys that can go. I mean, Brock can work longer. Drew McIntyre can work longer. And considering everything was pre-taped, You could have taken the time to tell a good story with these two, and you didn't. So to me, you just rushed the belt onto a guy who, no disrespect to Drew McIntyre, he has worked his ass off to get where he is, but I don't feel like Drew McIntyre is the guy yet. Again, name the last big singles match Drew McIntyre has had. He hasn't had one. The last big match he's had was winning the Royal Rumble which I'm not saying is nothing, but where has his big single match wins been? He hasn't had any. He hasn't been able to show that he can carry a program against somebody. He hasn't shown that he can be the guy. And as I mentioned on my prediction show, they booked this as the main event, and they couldn't sell out WrestleMania When everybody thought Drew McIntyre was going to go on to WrestleMania, beat Brock Lesnar for the WWE title, they couldn't sell out WrestleMania. So Drew hasn't shown that he can be that guy yet, and you've just rushed that belt onto him. If you wanted to put the belt on him tonight at WrestleMania, you should have given them a good 18 to 20 minutes at least to tell a story, make Drew Put Drew in a position to where he has to come back and he has to scratch and he has to claw and he has to fight his way back. And finally, finally at the end, he, he grabs that brass ring. He dethrones the beast. He gets his win one, two, three in the middle of the ring. But you have to put him in that jeopardy and you haven't done that. You have given the fans no reason other than they don't like Brock as champion to root for Drew McIntyre because now what do you do with him? You can't put him against Seth Rollins because Seth just lost. Who do you put him against? Kevin Owens? Kevin Owens is now a baby face. Drew McIntyre is a babyface. You can't put him against him. Who do you put Drew McIntyre against and ask Drew, carry this program for the next four to eight weeks? I don't know. Because you haven't given me any reason to invest in that over the next four to eight weeks. The best scenario would have been to have Drew fight and fight and fight and at the very end just come up just a hair short. Just come up short. Brock keeps the title, but you see Drew McIntyre as the guy. As the guy who is just an eyelash away from taking that belt from Brock Lesnar. But you see him as the guy. And then money in the bank or the following pay-per-view. You can have him take the title from Brock. But you haven't given us that build-up yet. You haven't built Drew McIntyre as the guy. Having said that, Congratulations to Drew McIntyre. Again, I'm not dumping on Drew being champion. I'm dumping on the fact that we were given no reason to invest in this other than people who don't want to see Brock as champion. And the story of Drew working his way back. But you haven't given him any adversity to really overcome. You brought him back and he's been dominant ever since. So, where's the adversity? What did he really have to overcome a few F5s tonight in a in an 8-minute match? He needed to overcome something. Why did Stone Cold Steve Austin become such a huge star? Because he had to overcome everything. He had to overcome everything Vince McMahon threw at him and still came out on top. You invested in him. And, and you went along with him on that ride as he overcame obstacle after obstacle. What has Drew McIntyre overcome? The only thing he's overcome is the fact that he was in 3MB. And did you really go on that ride with him to overcome that? So again, I, I it's it's nothing against Drew McIntyre. I like the guy. I think he's a hell of a talent. I think he's... He is well deserving of eventually being the WWE champion. But I don't like the story or the lack of story that you're giving us in putting that belt on him. So all in all, I mean it was it it did what it was supposed to do. It put the belt on Drew McIntyre. I think with these two performers, they could have done a lot more if they were given more time to do it. That's just my opinion. So, at the end of the night, we ended up 5-3 and three on our predictions, 10-5 and five overall for WrestleMania 36. All in all, I thought this was a great WrestleMania. And had this been able to be in Tampa, in the stadium, 70,000-plus people there, like I said in my prediction show, this had the potential to be one of the all-time greatest WrestleManias in history. I really believe that. And there wasn't too many times, if really any, that I didn't really realize that the crowd wasn't there. Um, I noticed it in the Liv Natalia match. I noticed it in the Corbin Elias match. Um, I noticed it at the beginning of the uh, the women's tag title match. But other than that, I really didn't notice too much that there was no crowd there. Except for when I did realize, you know, when I would see something spectacular happen and and go, oh good, at least I don't have to worry about a you deserve it chant or uh, you still got it or this is awesome, you know, at least I didn't have to deal with those chants, which have just become a plague on on professional wrestling. But all in all, I loved WrestleMania thirty six. I thought it was a damn good show. Um, high spots uh, of wrestlemania i would have to say the boneyard match definitely the firefly funhouse match the women's fatal five way i thought was a was one of the great moments um let's see um, trying to look back through the card here yeah, those were probably the the Charlotte-Rhea Ripley match was another high high moment for me. I I, I love that match. The low spots, um, I'll give Liv and Natalya a pass because they were pre-show. Elias King-Corbin was bad. Um, Aleister Black and Bobby Lashley. Um, I'll even give Otis and Dolph Ziggler a pass because I felt like it wrapped up a good story. The raw tag title match was better than I thought it would be, so I'll kind of I'll give that one a pass. The Edge Orton match, I I I felt like that was a low point for me. Um, I just really didn't couldn't get into it too much. Um, Other than that, I mean, yeah, I mean, every everything else was was pretty good. I mean, of course, Braun and Goldberg is is a low moment, but it is what it is. So. But, yeah, all in all, I loved it. I loved the cinematic uh, matches, the Boneyard match and the Firefly Funhouse match. These are, these are things that couldn't have been pulled off if it had been in an arena um, or a stadium with fans. So, yeah, all in all, I loved it. Uh, let me know. What did you think of WrestleMania 36? What were your favorite matches? What were you, what were you most excited about? What were you surprised about? Um, what were you disappointed about? So please feel free to leave your comments. Um, head on over to the website, pro wrestling, ultra.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at PW Ultra. And so, yeah, that's going to wrap it up for episode three. I want to appreciate everybody that's been listening. I've been checking, uh, the stats and the analytics over the last couple of weeks. Um, the, the um, the reception and the reaction that I'm getting it has been amazing thank you all for tuning into the show thank you all for visiting the website um, again follow me on Twitter at PWUltra I love interacting with as many people as I can and again thank you for tuning in this has been episode 3 of the Pro Wrestling Ultra podcast and we will see you all next week this is The Pro Wrestling Ultra Podcast.